Today in a special episode, we'll be interviewing actor and comedian Dave Merhej. This is Doctor versus Comedian. Dr. Asif Doja, and this is the Doctor of Laughs. Not a real doctor. Ali Hassan. Every episode, what we usually do is I pick a topic for Ali from comedy and entertainment, and I question him about it. Then Ali picks a topic for medicine and health and grills me on that topic. But today is a special episode. Today we'll be interviewing acclaimed actor and comedian Dave Merhej, who stars in the Hulu series Rami, and who will be touring across the nation with Comedy Night in Canada, hosted by Rick Mercer. My dad barely even calls. Barely. Why? This guy's a lunatic. He ate a fortune cookie with a fortune in it. That's another level of psycho, man. Been... My niece, 11, Layla, witnessed that. Blew her mind. Called me. Said the story twice. That's how dope it was. I go, you already told me this. She goes, yeah, but are you, are you not listening? He ate a fortune cookie with the fortune in it. And I, I, did, I was like, I almost snapped. I go, he has no more fortune. We all took it from him. He's a 71-year-old broken Lebanese man. Just walks around like, ah. Okay, so welcome, Dave Merhej, to Doctor Versus Comedian. I am uh, glad to be here. Are you? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know if Ali was going to talk after you, so I was just waiting, but, but obviously he didn't. <laughs> I'm so speechless because as we're about to tell our listeners, you've played both a comedian yes. and a doctor. I you're, am. You're I both. Am both. Yeah, you're I both of us. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, if for our audience, if you're not familiar with Dave, you really should be. Dave is one of Canada's best regarded and most well-regarded comics. He won the 2019 Juno Comedy Album of the year for Good Friend, Bad Grammar. He's on the Hulu series, Rami, which has also won a Golden Globe. You've been on Mr. D on CBC. And, yeah. you know, I know there's something that you're a bit embarrassed about, that you and Ali are good friends. I know, I felt I still had to mention that though. <laughs> I can't have it yeah. all. Some, you gotta take the good with the bad. I mean, yeah, it's public. <laughs> <laughs> it's public. People are aware. I should say, you know, and I think it's important to say because if we don't say it, I might say some things to you that I say to you as a friend and our listeners might be like, Ali Hassan is a monster. Why is he speaking to another human being that way? But Dave and I go 15 years back and probably some of the top 10 times I've had in comedy, the top 10 best times I've ever had have been courtesy of this man, with this man, at the expense of this man, just a really good friend. And it's a pleasure to know him, but also it's a pleasure to, to <laughs> yeah. mock him from time to time. You have to, to do that. You, know? <laughs> you well, have it, to do that. Prayer you have to. Prayer for I mean, I wish, you know, and Dave, we just talked about Mr. D. Like, it's something that I'm super proud of you for having been on Mr. D. And I think it was, you know, you got into acting in a more significant way after that. But also, I was your reader yeah, in yeah, my basement yeah. as you were doing the reading for that role. So on the one hand, it was hysterical watching you like jump up and down on a table in my basement being like, is this good? Is this good? And you're sweating. He was giving everything. But then also seeing you get the role was, that was a big deal. But part of it was also like, why are they making you audition for this? You know, they want you. They just needed to make you. You know, I think you still have to 
I think with Rami, I auditioned as well still because they have to obviously, as you know, they give it to, you know, the production has to see it. Hulu has to, or Hulu had to see it. CBC had to see it, right? You know, even though he's like, I think this person's perfect for the role. Like you, as you know, the higher ups, I guess, have to see it and give it the okay, you know? Yeah. Well, we wanted to kind of start from the beginning a little bit. When people hear you speak, most of them assume English is your second <laughs> language. But Asif, you can ask Dave about his roots, something that I know quite a bit about. But I think you can ask and we can share that with our listening audience, too. Well, so, Dave, your family is from Lebanon originally, but you grew up in Windsor. So did they come directly from Lebanon to Windsor? Many questions. Why Windsor? How, what was it like growing up there? You're kind of in this smaller town in Ontario, but then, of course, you got Detroit right across the river. So were you born there? Or I'm, I'm asking you many questions. Were you born there or... Or are you born in Lebanon? And tell us all about your early um, life. My parents came separately. So my father came when I think I believe in his late twenties. I want to say early thirties. So he had his sister had moved to Windsor, Ontario, and then the rest of the family had migrated over. My mom had come with her family separately, and they met in Windsor. So they had met, I believe, through his. She worked with his sister, one of his sisters, and I think he went on a date with her, but then he kind of, he tells it now, I guess, and she tells it. He ghosted her. Early, Early ghosting, ghosting, I ghosting love was it. a thing. And I guess his sister was like, you can't do that. You got to go with her. And then I believe they got married. Like, I don't think they dated long and they got married and then I was born. So all my siblings were born in Windsor, Ontario, which includes myself my sister and my two brothers. They all currently live there. Growing up in Windsor was beautiful. I mean, you know, it gets a lot of bad raps as a city from the rest of Canada, I guess. They call it like, you know, whatever bad names they call it. I can understand that if you come into Windsor for a weekend and you party or whatever, and you look at the, you know, the scenery, maybe you're like, this is a crap place. But I mean, I'm going to obviously argue because I was born there. So there are a lot of memories to me that are, I cherish more. And why would you cherish it? If you don't, you're not from there, it doesn't make any sense. You know, there was the nations of carousel, which I always remember. Am I saying it right? Yeah. So it's like the Greek one, the Italian one, the Lebanese one, the Polish one. And we would, I mean, it was in the summer. So you would go to all of them. Eventually, you'd go to all of them. You know what I mean? The Italian one and the Lebanese one at one point was super close to each other. I would say like two blocks away. <laughs> There's like a summer festival measure. type thing. and like Yeah. So it's like it's multicultural. I think a lot of times people don't think it is. There's a heavy Middle Eastern population, both Muslim and Christian Catholics there. The food is amazing. Our pizza you know, even I think Vice is doing something on it. It's like as one of the top pizzas and I vouch for that heavy. And then all my, you know, my relatives are there. Like a lot of them aren't in the Middle East anymore or in Lebanon, sorry. So I grew up with a lot with my grandmas and grandpas, my cousins. And it was like, a, we all lived kind of close to each other. And so there's this real family unity, which kind of molded my stand-up in a sense, because, you know, I could draw from there. But buddy, as you talk about Windsor, Dave, you know, this is an interesting thing as you look at comedians, how where they're from shapes them. You have, you know, Windsor and Detroit, you've performed in a fair amount. That's where your roots are. Then Toronto is a big part of your life and your growth and where you really, really cut your teeth and became the comedian you are. And then obviously New York and LA a couple of times in both cities for extended periods of time. And now you're New York based. Is there an influence from those cities on your comedy, do you think? Or is it more like you discovered who you were and then went to those cities and you don't change based on where you are? 
No, I mean, there's probably obvious influences each part, but like Windsor was like, you know, you grow up there, you're raised there, you have your ideals there, your my family raised me, you know, I'm drawing stories from there. And my experiences as a kid, as a teen, as a college, because I moved away after college. So there was that portion is where also I learned how to hustle. I only spent a year in Michigan really doing comedy because I moved right after, so out of college. So that molded me in a sense, like, you know, that was the first time I did guest spots at clubs. That was the first, you know, oh, I mean, Yuck Yucks in Windsor was, but I mean, I was learning the ropes of being a comedian. And at that point, I was just trying to be funny. So I was just telling whatever joke worked. I wasn't actually being myself fully. It wasn't until Toronto and a place called The Rant Room, uh, Rob Trick, who used to teach at Humber, the college that they had a comedy program, he used to do this thing called Rants for Rent. So you'd put five bucks into a bucket and you weren't allowed to tell a joke. You'd have to speak. So if you told a joke, you would have to get off stage. So that helped mold probably my act along with the mics. And as you know, and the open mics and the, com- and the music open mics that I would do. But I think at one point too, I remember where was I? I was at the Fox and the Fiddle downtown. It's not there anymore, but they kept a portion of it. If actually, if you go downtown and see it, they kept portion of the building. I don't know if you ever saw it. So it was, I wasn't really getting up at any other place, you know, like the clubs a lot. So I'd go there. It was like a late night set. And I remember Daryl Purvis comic was hosting and Ryan Belleville, both like, you know, dope comedians. Ryan, I remember being like specifically like seeing him one night in Toronto with another comic, Jenny, I believe. And I said, I wanted to be like this guy. I felt like he was like the king of Toronto. Like everyone was talking about him. And I just promised myself, I was like, I want people to talk about me like they talk about Ryan Belleville. So it's funny because I was doing my act at Fox and it was no one there but comics. And I think Ryan said something to me during the set. Like not a heckle, but you know what I mean? You know, when you're just talking, it's all comics. And I kind of started ranting. I was either him or Daryl Purvis. And I've never really ranted before. And it started to do really well. And then Daryl after goes there, that's it. There it is. I go, there's, and I just, you know, when you're really angry, I'm like, there's what Daryl? He goes, there's your act. There's something. I go, bro, you heckled me. Like I didn't get it. Right. I understand it. And then um, through that and the rant room and the mics and, you know, running around the city with like my, you know, comedians like Pat Bircher, Sarah Donaldson, Matt Roma, Neil Rhodes, I cultivated, I think that's where the influence came as well on top of Windsor, on top of there. And I would say that the 14 years I spent in Toronto really cultivated the style of uh, my style, basically. And then when I moved, I already had, you know, found myself basically, but I'm, I think you continuously search for who you are because as you grow, you change. So let me follow up with a question then about that, Dave. I've seen you perform before. We were just talking about that offline and, you know, it's almost like, I don't know, a stream of consciousness kind of sometimes with your jokes. And especially in when you won the Juno award for good friend, bad grammar, you have this one period where you're talking to somebody in the audience and it's like, it goes on, I don't know, maybe seven minutes of just one guy did one thing and it just keeps going on and on and on. And that to me is kind of the essence of the comedy as your friend was telling you. And is that, I mean, you don't have to tell me too much about the, how the sausage is made. Is that kind of just spur of the moment improv? Is that, you know, or have you thought about it a little bit or how does that kind of work? Oh, it was like years and years. I remember I would, you know, a long time ago, even this is in Michigan, I would, another comic that was with us in the scene was like, he goes, man, it's really funny watching you sometimes because like most people like, you know, they'll riff and then go into their act if they're bombing from the riffing. He goes, you do the opposite. It's like your act is bombing or not doing well, let's say, and then you just start riffing. I was like, 
And early on, I just found a comfort there. I just found, I, I was like, oh man, I feel so comfortable riffing more than I do telling my jokes. And then I really didn't click into it. I would just try to write jokes and I would do my jokes. But it wasn't until later that I realized, or I want to give, so there was a comic I know, he had told me that Jason Rouse, another very like, you know, this comic was Rasul Samji. And he told me that Jason Rouse was doing like 40 mics a month or something crazy. And again, I was like very, I wanted to do that or more because I was like influenced and he was the guy, right? So I started to like also realize I'm like, you know, I'm going to go to each room and try different things. So one room, and I think I was doing it in Michigan as well. I'd pick a room and just riff my set, no matter if it was like doing well or not, just so that I can train all these muscles. I was like, I guess, wanting to learn all these different muscles. So I think over time, I was able to work on that and hone it so that when it got to the taping and when I did that thing for eight minutes, it's like I've learned some. No, I don't want to say tricks. I just learned and I felt way more comfortable because at that point, I've been doing it for over 10 plus years. So there was no fear. It was like, okay, this is happening and I'm going to go with it as long as I'm squeezing out every laugh I can get. And then I guess Ali as well knows too. You know in your head when, you, you know what I mean, right, Ali? You know when you can just tap out of this. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, you know when it's like you're not being, you just go, this is enough. So I think, you know, time and practice, you can gauge that. Sure. Well, you know, I could talk about the craft of comedy for hours, and I love this. You know, in the medical world, us, if you hear about people who have, like, issues with whatever their eyesight or their hearing or some sense, and then they, because they use their other senses so much, they hone those. Not to put my son on blast, but my 10-year-old, not very good at dribbling the soccer ball. Ball control is bad. He gets scared very easily. But what he does have is the best passes. His passes are so smart and so crisp because he's always looking to get rid of that ball as soon as somebody's attacking him. <laughs> and so he's just, and I always watch that. I go, man, one thing that guy's got, great passes, knows where people are because he knows when that ball comes to me, I need to hurry up and get rid of it because I know that if somebody challenges me, they're going to strip the ball of me. Comedy is the same way, right? We all know people who never did hosting, never did crowd work. 10 years in, they start doing crowd work and it's some of the most awful thing you've ever seen in your life. That It's just a muscle that hasn't been worked, right? So it is beautiful to see that. And it's rare. It's a rare comic who takes it upon themselves to say, I'm going to work on all these different elements. And you were also pretty obsessed, you know? And I think to be one of the greatest, you have to be I was obsessed. obsessed. And I wanted, yeah. when I do the riffing too, I don't like just to be like, hey, where are you from? What's going on? I like to build these stories, like these imaginative fake stories. Or not your, and oh that's my God. because I would watch people riff and I'll be like, well, I don't want to do it just like, because it's everyone's doing the same riff. So sometimes I get selfishly angry. Like when someone's like, oh, this person's a good riffer. I go, no, they're, they're all, they're good. I mean, you know? Well, let me explain to our audience what a riff is, because I think we might be giving people, you know, it might feel like inside baseball to some people. But riffing is essentially crowd work. It's off the cuff and it's not planned. And often, like Dave was saying, people start with a riff only to get into their own material and their jokes. Like, hey, uh, what did you guys do this weekend? And then they ask, they don't really care what people in the audience did in the weekend. They're just trying to serve their own joke about something they did on the weekend. Dave does something very different and Asif alluded to it, which is he'll create a story about someone in the audience. And the funny thing about that story, that show in an album, I recommend everybody to either take a look at or listen to a good friend, bad grammar. I was there for the taping. You heard a beer bottle drop. You look at this guy and you create a whole story. Turns out 
He didn't even drop the beer bottle. That was the funniest part. You created a story about a guy and the guy just went he along just with it. He was I, like, this I, is so funny that I, I don't even I found out care. a week later, I think I told you or two, I was at the comedy bar. My friend who works in makeup, she worked with me. She worked at MTV Live when I worked there. So she had brought her and her friend who's an actress and she, they were both at the comedy bar for a show and they were like, hey, we got to tell you that it was, I guess, the girl's boyfriend at the time. I don't know if it's still her boyfriend who knocked the bottle down. I was like, oh, not the guy you were talking to at all. I was like, oh, and then nobody said anything. And I don't like to like bash the person. That's just what somebody had taught me this a long time ago. You know, and I used to do it, too, is that they would say, if you want to go at somebody, knock yourself down a couple steps and then go at the person because you've knocked yourself down. And I kind of adopted that. And but there are tricks though. Don't get me wrong. When you are like, for me, it's like, I have my set set up right in my mind. I have it set up. Let's say I have 40 minutes. And if I'm improvising and sometimes it works and it doesn't, I'll just find, I'll switch the order pertaining to the riff. Do you know what I mean? So I'll start playing with the order in my mind as the riff is happening. Right. Whereas, and it doesn't always work. I'm not, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't always make the smoothest 45 minutes, but I'd rather do it that way. Me personally. And yeah, I don't know if it's the right way or the wrong way to me. I have fun that way. And that's why I pulled, just wanted to mention that one bit from the album, just because it really is unbelievable, Dave. Like, I don't know if I've ever heard someone do it the way you do. It really, and I would encourage everyone to listen to the album. You can get it on iTunes. Yeah, yeah. it's easily available. And, you know, you won a Juno Award for this. So for people who don't understand, this is, and we have lots of non-Canadian listeners, Dave. So this is essentially the Music Awards for Canada. So in the U.S. it would be the Grammys, but this is the Canadian equivalent. And you won for Best Comedy comedy album in 2019. So maybe you could explain to us just, you know, kind of what that meant to you at that time in 2019. I mean, it's funny because Ali was with me as well. So what happened was I had recorded, this is probably a little bit long-winded, but I'll try to make it quick. I was trying to get a Comedy Central half hour, I think, at some point. And I was like putting together like half hour auditions and I had met someone that worked there and they were guiding me through it. Right. And I had sent and they were super lovely. They are super still lovely. I had sent them though. It was I recorded at the Comedy Nest in Montreal when I was headlining. I think I recorded two sets and I gave it to them. And I feel like when we were having like lunch, I think in L.A. and they were like, you know, you start off great, but it kind of like there's a little bit not murky. I don't know what word she used. You know, it wasn't as strong as the top. And as you know, she's talking and as I leave, I was like, yo, man, there's got to be a way where I can capture what I do without this other stuff or after audition. Without confusing execs and they're like, yeah, we don't know where right? to put you and all this. Kind so of I stuff. called yeah. my agent in Canada and I gave him, presented him the idea. He's like, yeah, I was like, let's find a seater, a 40 seater, or 80 seat. I don't even care. Let's make it intimate. And he at the time was like working with this individual named Millen and Millen's like Macaw Studios. They both were going to, I think, form it. So he's like, what's, and Millen used to do the comedy nows in Canada. He was the guy in charge of that. Millen Curry Sharples, by the way, terrific, terrific dude, dude, right? One of the best guys. And the funny part about that, sorry for these tangents, is that I was like one of the only few people that ever got a comedy now. And I remember I was in this parking lot of this small town, we were doing a gig. Millen was like, yo, you know, we just need you not to swear as much and you can't move around as much. But this is back. And there's nothing wrong with what he was saying. It's just like it's under, you know, they have a type of production. And I was like, I don't know if I could do that. And I don't and I didn't get the comedy now. So fast forward, like, I don't know, eight years later, he's the one now heading this production. And when I was running my set in Toronto, I was doing like a short set. He he was there. He was like, look, I don't care about continuity. 
He's like, you do what you got to do. I, he's like, I don't even care if you go off the stage. So it was just such this weird, you know what I mean? Such a change kind of thing. Well, this is what happens when you're sort of in that network yeah. mode. You know, you can't help like, no, this is the way we film it. If you move too much, then lighting and shadows and God knows yeah. what, I, as if I know anything about it. But yeah, they have so many other things. And then finally you're like, no, we got this wild animal. We got to let him out of the cage. And Millen and Morgan Flood, they put it together. And Millen, you know, did a huge solid. Got a lot of people that, you know, are super great at what they do to help this out. And we did two shows at the Drake. And it never was going to be an audio, to be honest with you. This was only going to be visual. So what had happened was, I think months later, I don't know how many, the timeline, but Morgan was like, I think me and Morgan were like, let's put it out as an audio. And then the Junos came back, right? Because Ivan Decker, they had been away for so long, the comedy category. And then when they came back, Ivan Decker won it, I believe the year before I won it, if I'm not mistaken. So shout out to Ivan for being the first one out when we came back. Super funny comic, Vancouver. I submit it and I'm doing a, a three city like run with Ali Wayne Terrace. And we're, you know, we did Saskatoon, Calgary, Edmonton, Saskatoon is still one of the fires places we performed at. I, we land in Toronto. I opened my phone up member and then I've been nominated, which I didn't even think that was going to happen, to be honest with you. Not that I didn't think the album was good. I thought it was like the production. Buddy, we were still riding on the high of in Calgary. Mayim Bialik followed oh, you. Yeah. Uh, not followed you, sent you a direct yeah. message. And it was what? like, I saw Blossom. your thing. You were yeah, from, that, from the Netflix thing I did for Comedians of the World. And it's crazy because me and my sister grew up watching her. So me and my sister were geek. And then I get, and you know, to answer your question, what it meant to me, it was like, you know, the Junos are part of our Canadian culture, our entertainment. Of course, anyone, you know, being nominated for it, you'd feel I felt super great. And I felt that, you know, the work we put in, me, Morgan Millen, everyone around and all the rooms that let me perform. And, you know, we got to, and then Bronze, who created the artwork for it, we got to be able to showcase it. And then winning it was satisfying because, you know, we put in all this work and everyone else nominated also put in work, but it was just like to be able to win and, you know, was meant so much, especially being Canadian and it's the Junos and being at the Junos and uh, yeah. And my dad was there and my dad, you know, took it via rail train, which he told me when he got there that he's never, never taken in his life, which was funny. And he didn't know what the Junos were, but the more important part of that whole trip was sharing, you know, you post things on social media and, you know, you want people to like them to help your self-esteem or whatever the case is. I think we all do it. You know, people will, will be like, no, I'm, I don't I'm like you secretly. I think everyone does it. And that was probably the most love I've gotten. I think, you know, I think when I, yeah, of, a, of you know, of a lot of things. And I remember being in the hotel room with my dad and having just this thought, I'm like, you know, I've chased these things for so long you know, at the idea of not seeing my family as much. I see him maybe once a year around Christmas and I don't really get to hang with my dad like this. And that to me was the more important thing out of all, all of it was that, you know, the Juno and everything brought us in this hotel room, just like, you know, him eating McDonald's at <laughs> two in the morning, him coming to an after party and watching Chromeo do a DJ set and I'm like, bro, are you good? And he kept getting angry at me. He's like, man, I'm good. I'm like, okay. And then we got pizza. And one of the guys we were with who worked on Good Friend Bad Grammar, a little bit tipsy and my dad couldn't let it, he danced on stage. And my dad was so tripped out about that. And I think that was beautiful to me. And so, I mean, the Junos itself meant a lot, but also getting to spend time with my father was something I did, you know, because I was going to bring my sister or my brothers and my sister was like, you should bring dad. 
I'm like, oh yeah, because my mom doesn't like to travel. And my mom was like, bring Bob. We call him Bob, short for Baba, because my sister couldn't say it. And he was like, yeah, man, I'll go. I don't know what they are. <laughs> no, I go, do you know what the Junos are? He goes, no, man. <laughs> and then, <laughs> you know, that's an immigrant who comes here and puts his head yeah, down and yeah. works hard yeah. to feed four yeah. children, right? There's well, no time to look that. up yeah. and be what a oh, Juno. You know who yeah, Sting that's... was, bro? <laughs> Ain't got time for Sting. <laughs> Sting wasn't at the Junos. That's no, a no, he was. Tangent, by he the was. Way, yeah, no, he, he was just, not. You know what happened? Remember, he was doing something in Toronto, like a he was doing the last ship a play. I saw him in Toronto. Yeah, yeah so, so the, exactly. He had, he had presented oh, a ward alley, but nobody knew, and the lights were out. And then when they slowly came out, this is on Sunday when the our event was Saturday, and then Sunday was the televised event. So they just showed our award on TV. They didn't really show, I think, us getting it. Or so when he came out, or when the lights came on, the crowd went nuts. This is in London, Ontario. Like I mean, they went bananas and. Me and my dad are sitting there, and I know Sting, but I don't really listen to Sting. And my dad just, like, through this commotion, just goes, man, who is this guy? <laughs> Sting. I just one guy in the building doesn't know who Sting is. <laughs> <laughs> What's all the commotion, yeah. bro? It was by far the funniest thing. It was worth the whole weekend. Just one guy. <laughs> Sting, do you think everyone knows you? Nope. <laughs> This backtrack for a sec there, Dave. You talked about We Ain't Terrorists. So this was a show that you and Ali were doing. As you said, yeah. you toured around Canada with this show. But is there a difference because, you know, you're of Arab background, but you're Christian, as you had mentioned. Yeah. And so is that different? You know, or do people come up to you and be like, well, what are you so worked up about? You're not Muslim. Or tell me about how that kind of identify or don't awesome. you don't even know that's a loaded uh -oh. that is a loaded question uh -oh. you don't even know yeah that you get a lot from Dave. Well, i mean on that the one. show kind of started like selfishly like in 06 or 07 i couldn't really get work anywhere and there was like do you remember when i think it was you know there was some stuff happening in lebanon i believe at that time and i just you know growing up I mean, I remember my dad got called a camel jockey, but I didn't know what that was as a kid. I remember running outside and my dad was screaming at the person who called it to them. I didn't know what was happening. I was a kid. And my uncle O'Brien married into the family. He's a white guy, Canadian. He's dying laughing. And I was like, bro, what's going on? He goes, ah, and he's laughing, telling me, he's like, they called your dad a camel jockey and he's losing it. And I was like, and I could see my dad lose it. I didn't know what it was. And my uncle was like, it's not even, it's such a stupid racist thing because it's a camel jockey. It's like a jockey that rides a camel like that, you know, these, you know, and then I remember being in high school and this kid that was American turned to me and he said, Hey man, tell your dad, Saddam Hussein to stop bombing America. And I was like, my dad works at Ford, right? Like, you know, you get all these little, so it doesn't have to be like, they don't know the difference between Catholic and Muslim when someone's being racist, it's just Arab Muslim, it's just Arab to them. So I did face like stuff like that. And, you know, and then when I started doing comedy, you know, I'd face it too. Nothing crazy, crazy. But I mean, and then when this a show idea came about, because I wanted to one, get work also wanted to do a show where I didn't wanted to talk about being Middle Eastern, but not like, I always have to answer. Do you know what I mean, Ali? Like always have to answer these like racist stereotypes. Why can't I just do an hour of like, me talking about my life or like dating? Why does it have to be like, you know, I'm a Middle Eastern comedian. So I have to talk about these certain things. So I wanted to present an idea like this. And at the time I wasn't getting work at Yuck Yucks or anywhere. I presented it to them and they were like, at first, 
Yuck Yucks is a chain of comedy clubs in Canada. Yeah, no, I'm just letting our listeners know. Yeah. I should do that. And Breslin was the owner with Jeff Silverman. He kind of wasn't really vibing with the idea. And then Jeff Silverman called me after and he said, Let, do you want to do the idea? Do you want to do the show? So he did one show, actually one show with downtown Toronto. I'll never forget it. And then we thought about adding a second one days before. And I remember, I think it was Mark was like, I don't know if it'll sell. And when I get there, Freddie, who's the manager for Rest in Peace. Yeah, he's like, man, there's like people outside, bro. And I'll never forget. I, I remember walking up and him being outside and like not stressed, but he's like, bro, he goes, buddy, there's people. And I was like, and you're a, a young comedian. comedian. Like, you're like, we got lineups. You got so lineups. Mark doesn't comes upstairs. He goes, we're adding a second show, man. How do you, what do you think about that? And I was like, man, I knew it. And we had like, we did two shows. I made the most money I ever made in comedy that night. And then we tried to, you know, after that, I was like, let me try to keep doing the show. And then, you know, I would rotate the comedians. And then I met Ali and I just like, you know, loved his organization. I loved it. I thought he was super funny, but I also loved his command and how he like, you know, basically steered the ship of a show. And that's what I needed. I mean, that's what any show, a good show would have. So then I was like, yo, do you want to do this with me? And then we would have, remember, we would have people like be on the show, but then I think it just eventually became just me and Ali, which was perfect. So I think that's how it kind of came about. And anyone that has anything to say to be like, oh, you know, you're not Muslim, you're Muslim, you can't talk about this or that, or, you know, we, it doesn't to, I feel to a racist, it doesn't, they're not looking at those, like, you know what I mean? Those like, totally. <laughs> they're just going Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that you weren't the thing that I'm, my apologies. Uh, perhaps you can point me in the direction of a Muslim. Yeah, nobody, exactly. Well, you know what? There's a sense of decency there too that comes up, you know, like it's happened all my life. You know, somebody's like, oh, you packy. And then like some friend will be like, I'm from India. And then they're off the hook. I'm like, yeah, but dude, we're still friends. Why aren't you backing me up? You're still... Right. Like yeah. now I get beat up alone. What kind of, you know, or, or I'm not even a Muslim. I'm Hindu or I'm not even a Muslim. I'm Christian. But it takes a certain type of person to be like, OK, I'm not the thing you think I am. But also you shouldn't be like that to people in general. Yeah. Right. So I think while you do, you admit you've said that it started for selfish reasons. I think it also continued because you're like, we're just trying to get a message out to all people just Try to have some sense of decency. Yeah. And it started off mostly, you know, in a selfish reason to get work. But then there was part of me that's like, I was tired. I was like, well, if you're going to call us terrorists, why don't I just call the show that? If you're going to call us that so that it's there. And that's how it, you know, came about. Yeah. And Asif, somewhat aware of this, we, Dave and I had a show at one point that we had been pitching this sitcom in development called We in Terrace. And we had jokes about that where Dave was like, uh, I feel us Christians don't get enough shine. And I would be like, this is not shine. This is not shine. He goes, nah, but you see, you guys get all the attention. And I know, but Dave's character was always jealous of yeah, the racism like, that uh, Muslims uh, were getting. So we turned it into something pretty comical. But in essence, it's like, it's not a joke for many, many people, obviously. I do want to ask about going back again. We talked about Mr. D and now Rami is something very, very special that you're part of and you do a fantastic job. And also you're in this indie film that's coming out in this year. It is coming out this year. I don't and know. Surrounded by this. Sorry, I don't know when it's coming out. Just, I don't mean to stop you from talking. I just don't know when it's coming out, but it's going to come out. I just don't know when. I don't have the information. But right, I have faith. In, in, I have yeah, faith. I hope it's coming. I, I it's hope. Come. Inshallah. Yeah. 
Inshallah, Inshallah, buddy. Did being on this Canadian comedy series, Mr. D, you joined it in its like fifth, sixth season and you stayed on for the next three? No, I joined it. Sorry, I don't mean to correct you, but I mean, I joined no, no, I, season please. seven and eight. So that one, okay, it means a lot to me and it's always will mean a lot to me. One, I had one of the, I think Jerry D is one of the funniest people. And also when you're in a scene with Jerry, he's so funny. It was very hard for me to keep composure. <laughs> and if you watch a specific clip, the one in the locker room, I can't remember what episode, I'm laughing. You can see me cross my face. Yeah, you're putting your head down and kind of yeah, biting yeah, your you lip and doing tricks. To, I was struggling laugh. the whole thing. Yeah. He was just making me laugh so much. And he gave me an opportunity. I've never been in, you know, I did MTV Live and I would film sketches and it was a live show, but i never been in a sitcom. And that was the first sitcom. Somebody gave me a chance and he saw me at Just for Laughs. And he was very complimentary. And then I knew he was coming to Windsor. I hit him up on Twitter and I said, yo, I would like to come to watch the show. I think I said, and he's like, do you want to open? And it was like at the hockey arena in Windsor. And I was like, yeah. And then I, my brother and another very funny comedian, Alex Pavone, were with me. And Jerry was like, yeah, I wrote this. I have this idea for the teacher, you know, down the line, you want to audition? I was like, oh, yeah. And then, you know, he helped me with that. And then I got casted. So I learned a lot. You know, the whole cast is amazing, as you know, Emma, Mark, Little, like Maestro, like Lauren, like I can go down, Jonathan Torn, Jerry. Mm -hmm. like, it's just yeah, a just murderer's yeah, role of Canadian comedic super, actors, uh, absolutely. If I missed anyone, I apologize. But the whole cast, everybody is so funny and so dope. So those summers also, they film it in Halifax, which I grew to love Halifax now. So now I try to come back. I've come back after to do shows like set up shows because I just love the city. And you know, I was actually surprised, even though I'd known you for a long time, Dave, I thought Mr. D lit up this sort of acting bug in you or whatever, but you were the one who told me that this is something you dreamt about, you fantasized about, you daydreamed about from a pretty young age. 14, I always wanted to do stand-up to get into acting. So if I figured if I can find my voice in stand-up, I'll get into acting. That's been the whole like, and you know, I didn't vocalize it enough because I, one, I didn't really feel the need to. And because I was so focused on getting my stand up to a place where I could get into acting. Also, not vocalizing was a good idea. We would have abused you <laughs> yeah. mercilessly, I think. Yeah. At the 100%. time. At the time. And there would have been egg on our face, by the way. Let me just say, we would have been the fools in the end, obviously. But at the time, it felt so foreign. And also because you had a command of the stage that was such that, like, oh, you're not going to leave this. You found your home. You're not going to, you look so comfortable on stage. This is your home. You sweat and bleed and yell on this stage. And this is a tool to go somewhere else. It wouldn't have made sense to so many of us. No, it wouldn't. It, yeah, it wouldn't have made sense. And I think with acting, you know what? I, you look, dude, you and everyone else is like, you know, they always tell me, they usually tell me this. Hey man, I didn't know you could act because I think they were like, this guy is going to suck because I never talked about it. But it was always in my mind. So then when it came time to, I was always ready to do the work because it was always something I wanted to do. It wasn't a thing where I was like, so when somebody gives me a compliment, it's like, well, yeah, I wanted to do this. So I, I was like, I understood that to put work in and I was learning about it as well. So that it wasn't like, do you know what I mean? Like this out of nowhere type thing to my friends and certain people it was because I never focalized it, like I said. But I think Mr. D though, help me get experience in front of a camera and doing the scenes in the episode really, really, really like one, I loved it. And two, it really gave me this comfortability that when I went on to Rami, I had experience a little bit. I had this little bit of experience and then I can just work on my 
the craft even further, which I have in these past three years, right? And this is the season three now. So I yeah, well, that's what I want to ask you about. So Rami is, as we mentioned, it's a series on Hulu. Rami Youssef is the main character who created the series. And you can tell us a bit about that. But this series, I don't know if people have watched it. It's somewhat hard to get in Cannes. I don't know if, if people have told you that, David, it's somewhat difficult to get, but you can. Yeah. And it's one of my favorite shows on television, for sure. I think, I think it's up there with Atlanta in terms of shows that are just at the cutting edge of comedy in the world in terms of half-hour shows. It really is unbelievable. So how did that kind of come about? I mean, one, two, just to make fun of people that always tell me it's hard to find. I'm like, people are like, man, it's hard to find out. Yeah, I just go. It's like two steps, maybe stars. And then you down. I'm like, I've seen people on the internet go through 16 different things. You basically have to pay for stars in Canada. Yeah, that's that's, that's, that's what you got to do. You got to pay money. <laughs> yeah. People are always like, it's difficult. It's difficult. I just saw you do a filter for 45 minutes or like, what are you talking about? It's difficult. You just don't want to pay the extra money, which is fine. But I always laugh when someone's like, it's hard to find, dude. I go, you found like crazy things on the internet at four in the morning. You can't find a TV show. And then I, so I went and did the research. I go, this isn't hard. It's just, you got to pay money. So I almost paid for a buddy to watch it, but how that came about, sorry, is I've known Rami probably 10 years plus. I met him at the Arab comedy festival in New York years ago. And I don't remember this conversation he does. I was telling him I wanted to act. So I did tell someone. I was like, I want to act. I did tell people, sorry, but not as vocal. And he was like, oh, and I think he was starting to do stand-up. He was doing sketch, I believe. Yeah, he has like this Nickelodeon yeah. background. He had a television background as a young kid and all. Yeah, right. So then I moved to LA in 2016. I think I followed him on Instagram. He posted about a show he was doing. I hit him up. I said, I'm here. And he started putting me on the show. We started to re like hang out. And I believe I was staying at his place and we got closer. And I ran into him at a restaurant with a guy, Ryan Welsh, who works on the show as well. And they were like, yo, he goes, I just sold the show. And I was like, oh, congratulations. He's like, yeah, it's called Rami. It's, oh, I don't know. There was a name yet. He was like, uh, it might've been untitled at the time. So then I see him in New York, because I think it's where they filmed the pilot, outside of the Arab Fest again, outside of the stand. And he's like, you want to audition? I was like, yeah. And then he's like, gave me like a time, but I think I was going to China to do stand-up. So when he hit me up, he's like, are you in town? I go, no, I'm in China. I was actually at the Beijing airport. He's like, okay, can you do a self-tape? I was like, bro, I don't have a reader. He goes, just turn into a monologue, <laughs> right? So you know how it is, Ali. So I get to Beijing. The promoter picked me up. She loves comedy, but she drops me off. She's like, well, I'll come back and pick you up. We'll go eat. So when she comes back, I was like, I got to ask her to self-tape me. But I don't know what the show's about. I don't even know how to tell her. She doesn't even know what a self-tape is about kind of thing. So we're in the, And I have to tell her to come up to my room. So uh, we do that. She's recording me. On, I, go, I give her my phone. I go, just record me. Bro, she took the cell phone. And after the first one run, she pulls it down and goes, no. Nah. She goes, do it again. I was like, what? <laughs> so I was like, yo, did I suck? <laughs> so I do it again. I go, is that good? She goes, yeah. I send it off. And then I think two days later, I'm in Singapore doing a show. And my agent in Canada messages me like, yo, you booked the pilot. And I was like, oh. And I message her, the promoter. I go, yo, we did it. I don't even know if she wrote back. I think she did. I think she wrote back. <laughs> and then I flew in. I flew to Vancouver. I had to do shows. Canceled some of those shows. Took three flights. Got to New York on Friday in Queens. Yeah. Or no, no, I got to film the Queens and then we did a rehearsal on the weekend and a Monday did my scene. It was me and Mo Ammer and Rami. And then April, that was December. 
so the following April is he called me. I remember it too. I was living in New York, I believe. I was at Nathan McIntosh's house, super funny comedian. And I go to the other room and he's like, hey man, the show's been picked up. And I was like, congratulations, bro. He goes, there's like a little pause. He goes, bro, you're on the show. <laughs> I go, oh, okay. Cause I didn't know what the extent of my. Yeah, yeah. You're so used to congratulating yeah. other people for their success. You forget like you also got so a So then we started and yeah, so that's how I, you know, got into it basically. But, you know, me and him, I've been doing stand-up for over the years, right? And his stand-up has grown so much too. And it's just like, yeah, so it's like a family now. Everyone on the cast, I in the crew is family. And this year we were filming season three now. And it's after like, you know, the COVID and the two years, I believe. It's so beautiful, man. It's so beautiful. And I think it's getting better. And, and I think everyone's getting better. I know everyone's stepping their game up. So I'm excited for people to see it. Yeah. And it, it, we should say, Asif, like you've already compared it to Atlanta. Now people won't know how much you love Atlanta, but that's like the highest praise you can probably oh, yeah, offer. Man. I know how much you love Atlanta. Dave does too. But I'll tell you that this show, I mean, the Golden Globe is one thing, but then even among community of actors, you know, it's Rami and Moammer and, and Dave have a big role. Hiyama Bas is a huge Middle Eastern actor, but she's people will know her from Succession if they watch Succession. You have a number of mm -hmm. different, like, phenomenal performers in there. And then in season two, Mahershala Ali, who people will know from Moonlight, from The Green Book, he came on board. Season three, Bella Hadid is coming on season three. Like, it's just... People want to be part of this thing. They want to watch it as an audience. They want to be part of it as actors. And it's been quite a phenomenal Sorry thing. Sorry to say is he am a boss. Just so good. Steve Way as well. These are the cast members. So, so funny. He's doing yeah. his own show. Mo Amr, like we said. Amr Walkud. I want to get everyone. Amr plays Farouk Hassan, who's my father's name. That connects me to the show. And May Kalamaway. Yeah. Imagine. And she's like, I think you butchered my last name. I can't even pronounce my last name properly. I should have said it. Yeah, how do you say it? <laughs> I would have said the same way, Kalamwe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if she's Arab, Kalamawi, you, you would just, sing. But then it was me. Just Come tell you. So, but Steve Way, actually, I was telling Ali, you know, we should actually have Steve on the show because he's a comedian and yeah. you know, he has muscular dystrophy, I believe. And, yeah, and so, we, we can make that happen 100%. Yeah. yeah and a funny, a very funny guy. And of course, oh. there's uh, who plays Uncle Nassim. I mean, that guy is a great actor. I mean, yeah, and Nate Leighton Ackley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. good. But listen, some specific questions for you, though, Dave. First of all, you play one of Rami's best friends who's a doctor, but what kind of doctor? I'm trying to figure it out. Well, what kind of doctor? Are you putting me on the spot, dude? I'm trying to Google it. Okay, while you Google it, let me explain the biggest laugh that I had at Dave's expense was when he got a role on Mr. D playing an economics teacher. And if you meet Dave, there is nothing about the world of economics and Dave Merhej that intersect. That is a yeah. blank No, Venn I told you I, I took to economics in school, in college, bro. I mean, that is all suspect. We don't even know if you have a degree. So he showed me his Diploma. degree, actually. St. Clair College Diploma, in Windsor. It's not a degree. He shows it to me all the time. <laughs> You're giving me too much credit. Diploma. Diploma, I'm sorry. All right. 
But, you know, economics teacher was huge. And to play that convincingly, a high school economics teacher was one thing. But to play a doctor convincingly, like if you can point to your kidney right now, that would be something. And I know you can't. So what kind of doctor are you playing? It's because they don't mention it. So I thought this season, by the way, I'm going to interrupt your answer to that question for a sec, because we talked about the rest of the cast. And what the show has been very good about doing is, you know, they'll do an episode focused on one of these other characters instead of just Rami. Very good. Again, Uncle Nassim, I won't ruin what happens in the second season, but that's a great episode. And everybody's had them, including Steve did have one as well yeah, with that bachelor party episode. Yeah. So, but what about you and Mo Amr? I'm waiting for your guys' episode. I can't say, bro. You never know. No. I can't okay. say, dude. Okay. You're okay. trying to get stuff out of me for this. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm, I'm not. The, who's the Spider-Man guy that keeps telling secrets? <laughs> I ain't that dude, bro. I don't know. And, you know, maybe this year you can find out what doctor I am. But, you know, that's maybe, for the imagination, maybe. bro. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's hilarious. That's for your imagination. He, meanwhile, he was Googling it a minute ago. <laughs> what kind of doctor am I? Okay. You can keep it nice and... Sexy gossip. Why not? <laughs> Buddy, one of the things I'm very happy for you, and you were supposed to do this a few years ago, but you know, COVID got in the way of that. And I've done this tour in 2019. I toured the country with a few people. One of them is Ivan Decker, who you mentioned, who won that Juno and the Junos reintroduced the comedy album category a few years ago. And it's hosted by Rick Mercer. And I mean, I just, I can't be happier for you. That is a real, as far as Canadian comedy experiences go it is one of the most canadian and most fun comedic experiences you can have and i treasure that time in my life like i can't imagine so you hit the road with this tour people can go to hahaha.com to see the variety of 20 plus dates that you have in canada on that tour and if you can get tickets yeah get them it is a guaranteed killer of a show. Our friend Iman El Hosseini is on that show as well. Ivan, yourself, and of course, Rick Mercer, a national comedic icon, is hosting the show, and you'll be touring with him, and that'll yeah, be Yeah, I'm great. super excited, bro. I generally am very, very excited. I worked with Rick just briefly, and is it not last December, the December before, and he's a sweetheart, and he's great, man, and he's just, he's a legend, bro. Should we let this dude go? Should we yeah, end we'll, this yeah, uh, we'll. hostage video, or <laughs> the lighting the lighting is very hostage video mom mom i'm okay they read, haven't harmed read me today's it looks like newspaper, you're about to say that so we know yes yeah, 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 he's yeah. still alive but seriously dave thanks so much for doing this we really appreciate you taking the time no no i mean like if i didn't know you guys i wouldn't have taken the time like this <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. That's how you treat strangers. Okay. Well, that's too bad. We were trying to introduce you to people who don't know you, but obviously you don't if you care see Dave about on anyone the street, who doesn't know you. Don't talk to him. Do not <laughs> approach. <laughs> Do not approach. Is what no, no, I meant it. He's not the man he used to be. Because I like flew in and I was like, I got to make this right. I was like worried because like the, you know, you never know what flights, but also like the Uber into the city is like, or the lift into the city. So I'm really glad we got because originally it was supposed to be in the afternoon and it would have been rushed, I felt, because I had to catch a flight. So I'm glad it got to this time because I didn't want to honestly wholeheartedly do this with you guys. So not that I want to do other stuff, but you guys know what I'm saying. You're being political, both of you. We both do. being we political. Do. <laughs> We're being provocative. Yeah. It's different. Dave Merhej was our guest today. Thank you so much to him. 
Go to DaveMerhej.com. And Merhej, as Asif told me today, his autocorrect spells it correctly. Siri, I mean, Siri that's what recognizes your it. last name, Dave, gets it perfect. It's amazing. I didn't even know that. And this was a joke I used to tell, like, you know, that I spent the first five years of my relationship with Dave explaining how to pronounce it and spell it to other people. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have like these young white kids from like Northern Ontario going, hey, uh, don't you tour with Dave Merhej? I'm like, what? Where'd you learn how to roll your J, buddy? Jeez. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's been an uphill climb and it's been quite an ascent watching people, you know, make that last name, basically a household name in Canada. It's been great to watch. Thank, Thank you, my guys. friend. That is our show today. My thanks to our listeners as well. Thank you for being here. Asif, you have a disclaimer, even though you've said nothing of any medical importance, I think it's always good that you let the people know who you are and who you yes. aren't. Remember that although I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. Dave is also not technically your doctor. Oh. Medical issues, we talk about it for your interest and information only. They're not medical advice. Please consult your medical professionals for actual medical advice. Thanks for listening. Bye. 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 Thank you.